That was beautiful. Wow, it is hard to believe that it is already Advent Sunday, the first Sunday in Advent. I've got to be really careful today. Our church at, uh, in Pittsburgh, where Hillary and I just recently served, randomly during a sermon, he had a word of knowledge and said, a barren woman is going to be healed in this room, and then continued to preach and teach as if nothing had happened. But my stepmom, Nancy, owned that truth and, and, and held that true to herself. And on Christmas Eve, she found out that she was pregnant. And she named my little sister Hope because God had brought hope to her life through this wonderful, wonderful miracle that she knew was only God. And then she named her Noel, her middle name Noel, because she found out on Christmas Eve that she was pregnant. I share that powerful story because it's a story of hope. It's a story of the reality that God is real. That God is a loving and powerful God. And it was a transformational time in the life of my family. And, and shortly after, my dad married uh, Nancy, and, and I got to grow up with Hope as, as my little sister. And I don't consider her uh, a half-sister or a stepsister. She is my sister. You see us together, you know. <laughs> I pick on her like she's my sister. But it's just a powerful reality of God, of who God is and what God does. You see, that, that story pales in comparison to the story of Christ's birth, the miracle of Christ's birth. It pales in comparison to that. Christ's birth is our hope. I once heard a, a quote about hope, and I want to share it with you. It's our, our first point, actually. It's that hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Despite all of the darkness, the birth of Christ is the light of hope. That is our light of hope. And this whole series that we're going to be looking at is the Advent of Hope. And the sermon for today is titled Advent of Hope. But the entire month is going to be looking at the hope of the gospel. We lit the, the candle of hope this morning. And so we're going to be discussing and looking at the hope that Christ's birth gives to each and every one of us. You see, as we look around, we can see there's a lot of hopelessness in our world. We see people who wander through life that don't see the light through the darkness. They just see the darkness. And you may be in that place right now in your life where you can't see the light through the darkness. But I pray that this morning, as we look at the advent and the coming of Jesus Christ, the birth of the Lord, that you will see hope, that you will have light through the middle of the darkness. So the question I think that we need to be answering as we open up the scriptures this morning is, how can we be driven by the hope of Advent? How can we allow this hope to drive our lives? The Advent is a hopeful moment. How can we be driven by that? And so we turn to a familiar story in Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and then we'll look at another familiar passage in Hebrews 11. But I'll give you an opportunity to turn there, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. It's the story of the wise men. Now, as you know, in the nativity, many times, I know, I think it, was, uh, it, was, it might have been Kelly, she said, a lot of nativity scenes are heretical because the, the wise men weren't there yet. 
It didn't happen yet. And, and I, you know, I believe that that's absolutely true. They came later. They came at a different time. But it's still a part of the nativity story, the coming of Christ. It was still in the early days of his life. And so we're going to look at that familiar story. But I hope that the Holy Spirit gives you a different view into this story this morning than maybe you've ever had. So pretend like you've never heard this story before. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus had been, was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. And then Hebrews 11.1. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Again, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Wow. Now, if you were listening to that story for the first time or pretending like it was the first time, it's a very intriguing story. These men traveled for approximately two years from the east to Jerusalem. They saw a star, and they decided that they needed to figure out what it was, and they decided from all of the prophecies and all of the things that they read that they needed to go and follow it because there was a king. And so they traveled with this expectation that they were going to meet a king. Just picture this in your mind. They have no idea. They don't have cell phones. They don't have the internet. They don't have Facebook or Instagram to check and see, is he really there? Did it really happen? What's all the fuss about? They they weren't able to check it, but they believed, and they moved forward, and they were driven by hope. I think the first thing that we can see in their story about how you and I can be driven by hope is that expectant hope produces powerful faith. Expectant hope produces powerful faith. You see, these wise men, they were so expectant that they were going to see a king. 
that they headed out and they continued to travel and to travel and to travel and to travel. You think that there'd be those points where they would say, okay, this isn't worth it. We've been traveling for two years. We don't have our family with us. We don't have all of these different things. Can we just go back? But no, there was an expectation that drove them. It was an expectant hope. And I think when we in our culture, we hear the word hope, I think we misinterpret what it really actually means. We think that hope is kind of a wishful, wishy-washy, oh, I hope it happens. But see, that's not what the word hope means. The word hope is a word of expectation. In fact, in the, the very Greek word that is used in 11.1 of Hebrews is called elpida. And that word hope, elpida, is the word also used for expectation. So hope is grounded in certainty, not wishful thinking. Hope is grounded in certainty, not wishful thinking. And so when we reshape our mind around what hope is about, when we have the hope of the Advent and we see that Jesus came, there is this expectation that he did what he said that he did. We weren't there. We don't know. But we have hope and faith and we know (laughs) that it was true. We celebrate the Advent because we know that we know that we know that it was true. And God is a God who is here now with us. That it wasn't just a he came and he left. He came, ascended, and sent his spirit to birth hope. To continue to drive us through the hope of the gospel. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was hope that drove these men. Hope that drove them to bring their gifts. Hope that drove them to go to a distant land. Hope that brought them in front of a king and they were able to say, hey, I know you're a king, but where's the real king? Now that's, that's kind of dangerous ground. To go in front of a king of a nation and say, hey, where's the king of your nation? Because I know it ain't you. Now, he probably got a little bit frustrated and was like, oh, but wait, if there's this prophecy, if something is going on, I've got to figure out what's going on because I didn't hear about this king. Their hope drove them. Their hope moved them. I fear many times in our current Christian reality that we're not allowing the hope of Advent to move us forward. Our prayers are not hopeful with expectation, expecting God to meet our requests, or as we talked about, all the different types of prayer, not expecting God to actually hear us. I've talked with several people and they say, you know, I just feel like my prayers hit the ceiling. Well, my question is, are you expecting God to answer or are you just wishing? It's like throwing a a penny in a wishing well. Oh, I wish for a new car or I wish for this or I wish for that. Is that how we're praying? Are we praying with hopeful expectation? Because I believe as we look at the stories of Advent, not just the wise men, but we're going to be looking at Simeon who anointed Jesus. We're going to be looking at the innkeeper's wife who had no idea what was really going on. And we're going to be looking at the incarnation in depth. When we look at these stories, we can see the hope of the gospel, the true reality of a God who loves us. Are we allowing that hope to be integrated into our prayers? Are we allowing that hope to be integrated to driving us to what we do in life as it drove these wise men? Are we grounded in certainty or are we grounded in wishful thinking? The Bible says in James 5.15 that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. 
Are we offering prayer in that deep, real, true, hopeful faith? Because I believe that hope and faith are linked together. In fact, I would say to lack hope is to lack faith. Because in the, the definition of faith that we look at, the elpida, the Greek word of hope, it says the assurance of expectation is what faith is. The assurance of expectation, that we are assured that we are going to expect and know that God is going to show up. Just like those wise men, they knew when they were there, they knew that they were going to see a king. They knew it. They didn't doubt it. They didn't question. They didn't even say, hey, is there a king of the Jews? They said, where is the king of the Jews? Where? They didn't say, oh, did he, was he born? Or he, They knew it. Do we have that type of faith in our life? Are we allowing that type of hope to drive our lives? Because, my friends, the advent is the picture, the very essence of hope. We do not have to live hopeless. We do not have to live defeated. We do not have to live beaten down because we have a king who came. We have a king who lived. We have a king who died. And we have a king who raised again from the grave. Are we having that type of powerful, expectant hope that helps to shape our faith? Jesus' birth ushered in a new hope, the expectancy of restoration. God came in flesh. There is no other religion that claims that. There is no other religion that claims that God came for and pursues the people, especially the people that messed up. Because, my friends, each and every one of us in this room have, in fact, messed up. But our mess does not have to leave us hopeless. We can be expectant knowing that we have a God who came in the flesh and allow the advent of Jesus to drive us to hope. And it also resolves the question of will he come again? Because if he prophesied he would come, and then after he left he prophesied he would come again, we are hopeful knowing that we have won the battle, knowing that he will come again, that the second advent of Christ will make everything better, the new heaven and the new earth, full restoration. That should give us hope. That should give us a desire to share and to shape other people's lives with hope, expecting and knowing that God is going to show up. But many times we have a wishful, wishy-washy faith. Let's have a deep, real, expectant hope so that our faith is grown. It also gives us hope knowing that he came and it happened, that he died on the cross for our sins, that when he says your sins are forgiven when you believe that Jesus died for you, my friends, we can have expectant hope knowing that is true. Christ came. The other thing that we can see from the story of these wise men is that expectant hope convinces others. Expectant hope convinces others. Look at the conversation that they had with Herod. <laughs> Excuse me, verses 3 through 8. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, <coughs> he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. 
For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, Herod was a very paranoid king. If you were to look at history and see Herod's life, he had nine wives and he killed all of them. He had family members that he had in his life that he was afraid were going to usurp his throne. And so he killed those people. He was very paranoid. But there's something different about this moment. This moment, he is part Jew, part Roman, and he says, you know what? We need to check the scriptures. We need to check this thing out. Where is this kid going to be? There's a sense of conviction, and he was convinced that what they were saying was actually the Messiah. He had this moment of belief, not just thinking that his rule as king of the Jews was over, but that the Messiah had come. And he's like, no, 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 I can't let that happen. I cannot let that happen. He was so convinced because of their hope. They were hopeful, and they said, where is the king? Not, is he alive? Remember, they said, where is he? Their conviction and their expectancy of seeing the king changed something in Herod that he went to the scriptures to figure this out. And he was wise in this moment because he knew what he was going to do. That's why he said, when you find this king, tell me where he is so I can worship him too. He was not going to go worship this guy. Let's just be honest. And then it says very specifically, he ascertained the time they saw the star. And he was convinced that the moment they saw the star was the moment that the baby was born. And that is why he killed children two and under. He was so convinced of their hope and of their expectancy that he took action. That was the wrong action, (laughs) But he took action. He was convinced that their hope was real. He was convinced that their desire to see this king was real. These men convinced Herod that the time had come and the Messiah was born. Now why do I share that? What does that mean for our lives today as we look at our expectant hope? Well, my friends, as we live with a hope that's expectant, knowing that God is real, knowing that God came, knowing that God loves us enough to die on a cross and rise again, knowing that we have the hope of the gospel, that should change the way we live in our lives and our words should convince others of the same hope. Because when we're living with that deep expectation, that reality that God is tangible, that God loves, that God came, That hope should change the trajectory of what we do. Because we don't need to hope in the stuff here and now. We don't need to hope in the money. We don't need to hope in anything else but God. And that hope should drive us to convince others. Not because we're trying to force anything down their throats, but because the way in which we live with deep hope and expectancy, we're going to look like loony bin people. But it's true, and they will see what is different. Why are you so hopeful? What is so real to you about this? And we can bring about convincing moments in their lives. (coughs) Again, there is no other religion that offers a God who pursues humanity except Christianity. 
And so when we live with that type of hope, understanding that we were pursued and sharing with other people that they are pursued as well by the same living, loving God, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, that type of hope changes people's lives. And when we come to the Christmas season, many times we, we get into battles about are they having the right cups or are they having the right this or are they talking about this or that. And we fight about all these different battles fighting for Christmas. Man, if we just live with hope, we wouldn't have to fight for Christmas. Christmas and Christ can fight for themselves. Let's live with expectant, powerful hope that changes lives. That when we go to a place that might not necessarily be celebrating Christmas the way we want, we go and we love them no matter what. We serve them, we care for them, we tell them about the hope of the gospel. Too often Christians are known for what we're against rather than what we're for. We need to live the life that we're for, not argue about what we're not for. Because when we live for the gospel and we live a life of hopeful expectation, knowing that God loves, that God came, that God transforms, it's going to convince lives. People will be convinced of the gospel because they will see the hope in us. Just as Herod was convinced, people around us will be convinced as well. The Advent perfectly portrays God's pursuit of man. The Advent perfectly portrays God's pursuit of man. God came. He came. He pursues us just as he did Adam and Eve in the garden. He comes. He came in the garden to find Adam and Eve when they were hiding. And the same is true for you and me. The hope of the gospel is that God loves us and God comes after us and God draws him, us to himself through his death and resurrection, through his love, through his passion. Now we can reject it or we can receive it. And my friends, my hope and my expectant hope is that you will receive it. That you'll be jazzed up about hopeful expectation because of the story of the wise men. Their story is one of expectant hope and God was pursuing us through the life and birth of Christ. When we reflect full of hope on the advent which displays his pursuit of us, we can pursue him with full expectancy that he's going to be there. When we remind ourselves that God comes after us, that he came as flesh to come for us, when we pray and when we pursue after God, we will know that he is there. He didn't change his mind all of a sudden. He says, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to pursue you. And we turn back to him and we repent. He's not all of a sudden going to say, whoop, I'm out of here now. This hope of the Advent can drive us to the hope and expectancy to know that he will be there. The next thing that we see through the story of the wise men is a pretty incredible one. And it's that hope gives way to generosity. Hope gives way to generosity. Let me explain these wise men, they traveled for a long time, a year and a half to two years. And they were carrying a lot of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, those are the only three gifts that we see. That's why all of a sudden we say there only were three wise men because there were three gifts. Each wise man gave one gift. We have, we have no idea. But we do know that there were three gifts, and they carried them with them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have a lot of gold and I'm on a trip for two years, I'm using a lot of that gold to buy steaks and, and all kinds of really good food on the way. And so by the time I'd get there, I'd probably be like, oh, here's a coin. <laughs> Sorry, I ate all the food. 
But no, these men, they sacrificed, they saved, they brought it. There was deep generosity. They're, they were so hopeful and so expectant that they were going to meet a king that they brought gifts worthy of a king. They knew that this king was going to be a baby. Have you ever in your entire life seen anyone come with a box of gold to a baby's hospital bed and say, here you go? Anyone? I've not seen it. Have you ever seen a two-year-old's birthday party and, and grandma brings a big, huge thing of gold and says, here you go, buddy. I've never seen that. They knew that they were going to meet a king and they put this wealth, this beautiful, wonderful, generous wealth before Jesus and said, this is yours. This is our offering to you. Because if you're going to parlay with the king, if you're going to back to this time of history, if you're going to parlay with the king, you better go before the king with a gift. If you didn't, they would look at you and say, why do I even want to talk to you? So this was a cultural thing as well. They were so expectant that they were going to meet royalty. I don't, I, this is such a hard thing for me to capture and understand. And I want you to wrestle with it because this story is not just some nice, fantastical story that we sometimes really like to make cartoons of. I mean, this story was real. It actually happened. These men actually brought this stuff. Some people would estimate that the amount of money that they had could go up into the millions. We have no idea. But it was a lot of money, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, very expensive things. It gave way to generosity, and they held on to this to give it specifically to him. The incarnation of Christ shows us the ultimate generosity. Jesus did not have to come down from heaven, step down into humanity to have human limitations, except that he chose to. It wasn't forced. His love moved him to do so. That is generous. That is powerful. That is true. And biblical hope leads us to live lavishly for the sake of others as well. Have you ever heard that, 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 uh, that, that saying, it's, it's better to give than to receive? And we tell our kids that, and they're, they're not really convinced. <laughs> They're like, it's better to give than to receive. They're like, yeah, but give me stuff. And we, we end up being like that with the Lord too. But when we understand the hope that we have, when we understand the power of the gospel, that saying actually makes a lot of sense. It is so much greater to give than to receive because we understand what we've already been given and we can't help but give back. Now, it could be time, it could be talent, it could be treasure, whatever it is. There's no, no specific nomenclature in the Bible that says this is what you have to give to prove your generosity. But the point of the matter is, is that when we live with expectant hope, we will, we will be moved to generosity. We will be moved to generosity. Are we willing to yield our time, talent, and treasure? Are we allowing the expectancy of the hope of the Advent to move us to live lavishly for one another? And living lavishly could also be generous with forgiveness. It could be generous with love. It could be generous with hope inside of, of a, a hopeless situation. Again, generosity doesn't have a specific way it looks. Are we being generous with all aspects of our lives? The next thing we can see, point number nine, is that hope opens the eyes of our hearts 
See, God desperately desires to speak to his children. God, through his word and through his Holy Spirit, leads and guides and directs us of those, those of us who believe in Jesus. And when these men, they came and they witnessed the king and they gave the king their gifts, they were open, their hearts were open to hear what God had. See, the, we don't see anything about God revealing himself to these men uh, before this moment in verse 12. We don't see them seeing God, the, the angels say, oh, go, and the king will be there. There was just this expectant, blind hope. But after they went through that, and after they had that conversation, and they saw God, it says this, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. God opened their eyes to himself and spoke directly to them. Now, some would say, well, that's probably because he was trying to save Jesus, and that's desperately, absolutely true. He was desperate to save Jesus, to make sure that he was out of harm's way. And they probably used a lot of the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, the money which they were given to go and flee to Egypt to start a new life. But these men, they were, they were awakened to the reality of a speaking, loving God. They were moved with hope. God still speaks today. Allow this expectant hope to open the eyes of our hearts to the Lord. The next thing that we see, point number 10, the final thing, and we're going to unpack this one point throughout the rest of this month, but the incarnation is the self-revelation of the living God. The incarnation is the self-revelation of the living God. We do not serve a God that is dead. We serve a living, loving, speaking, caring, patient God. That is hopeful. And the incarnation proves that self-revelation. Jesus will consistently say through the book of John where we're going to be studying after the Advent season that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he also says that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Constantly through the book of John, he reminds them that he is the self-revelation of God to humanity. And so allow the hope of the Advent to drive you. Allow the hope of the Advent to give you expectant faith, knowing that God loves you, knowing that God is there, knowing that what the Bible says is true. It is a hopeful, true story. It's not just a cartoon. This story actually happened. Hope drove the wise men. Are you and I allowing hope to drive us as well? My prayer is that you'll allow the Spirit to fill your heart with expectant hope and allow the advent of Christ to bring a hope-filled expectation to your lives and to my life that is contagious. Let's pray. And those who are being baptized, please go to your rooms. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that Jesus came. I thank you for stories for the real, true stories of the hope of Advent, the hope that drove these wise men to see the baby king, that drove them to generosity, that drove them to convince Herod. Holy Spirit, I pray that we will be driven by such hope. May the hope of the gospel transform our lives and in turn transform the lives of those around us. In your name. Amen.
Would you stand with me? And we want to sing a song that uh, reminds us that those who are putting their faith in the Lord always come with expectant hearts to him.